0: This is Louis Gadima, author of Bullseye Marketing, How to Grow Your Business Faster, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up
1: with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which is named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, just connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Also, I'd like to thank our sponsor Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just a few minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. You can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash MarketingBookPodcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, and if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash MarketingBookPodcast. I also have a link to it at MarketingBookPodcast.com. I'll have more on Blinkist in a few minutes. And now, on with the show. Today we welcome Louis Gadima to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his new book, Bullseye Marketing, How to Grow Your Business Faster. In his 30-year career, Louis has helped hundreds of companies from MIT startups to the global 2000 to improve their business results. And early on, he founded a marketing communications firm that served major companies. And he then pivoted it to an early uh, SaaS firm, software as a service firm that had strong recurring revenue. He then had a successful exit and over several years afterward acted as vice president of business development at two mid-sized digital agencies working primarily with large enterprise level accounts. Later he founded his current marketing consultancy, revenue and associates, working primarily with small and mid-sized companies. Louis speaks frequently on marketing and business at uh, regional and national events and has written for such leading business sites and many of my favorites like the Harvard Business Review, Marketing Profs, Chief MarkTech, HubSpot, eConsultancy, Content Marketing Institute, and, and many others. And interesting facts He grew up on a farm in Illinois, and yesterday at Mohican Sun Casino, he won the Texas Hold'em Poker Tournament. Louie, congratulations on bullseye marketing, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Thank you, Douglas. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I appreciate you having me on.
1: Well, uh, I hope that some of that uh, good luck you had yesterday, I'm sure you won't say it's, it's luck, but I hope it, it spreads to uh, to all our listeners as well. Now, uh, Louie, before we go much further, though, I have to ask something that I know a lot of listeners, at least in the United States, are going to be wondering about. You're a Michigan grad. And I am. And you, you live uh, in Boston. And I'm just curious, when you go to alumni parties, does the Patriots quarterback Tom Brady show up? Uh, no, I have not seen Tom uh, in my social
0: circles. <laughs> I see. He actually, he, we make very similar incomes, you know, just very similar. <laughs> uh, but somehow we have not run into each other. But no. I, I, I will tell you, any time that I wear Michigan paraphernalia, like a, a cap or a, a T-shirt, whether it's in Boston or New York or any place, you cannot go 15 minutes without someone passing in the other direction and saying, go blue.
1: Oh, okay. Good. Good. It is
0: a big, big net uh, alumni network.
1: It is. It is. And it's a great school. And, uh, I've actually had, uh, I can think of another, uh, guest who's been on the podcast who was a, a Michigan grad, but let's talk about the book. Uh, the book, it's just so the listener knows, it's, it's 340 pages and the book weighs almost two pounds. I, I, I weighed it on our postal scale here <laughs> in the office and, uh, I, For reasons I'm going to explain, I loved this book uh, to the point where um, last year I interviewed an author, uh, David C. Baker, about his phenomenal book, uh, The Business of Expertise. And I read that and said, There are some fundamental changes we're going to make. We are going to do what's in this book. And your book is like that too. There are some very, we've already had a meeting internally here. There are some things that we're going to be changing up. We still provide many of the same services, but they're, your book has prompted some change into how we're going to be uh, approaching and, and working with, with clients because I think it's a great uh, way to help them understand the larger role of marketing and what some of their responsibilities are. A lot of these companies, as you know, will think, well, let's hire a marketing firm and then they're going to take care of everything for us. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's a lot of things that, uh, that you should also be doing. But anyway, I loved the book. And I was reading along, and I just thought it was absolutely terrific until I got to page 219. (laughs) And then a lot of your credibility was pretty much shot, Louis.
0: Sorry. Think of it this way. If it had been a 200-page book, you would have thought the whole thing was brilliant, right? (laughs) That's right. If I'd just known when to shut up. That's right. I've got it in front of me, and I I think we're talking about – When I'm interviewing James Carberry.
1: Yeah, and I'm reading that. My friend James Carberry, who's the host of the uh, B2B uh, Growth Show, great podcast. We sometimes promote each other's podcasts, which you talk about in the book. And then I read my name in your book, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm not sure about this guy. You know, he really had me until he mentioned this guy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I can understand. And and maybe in the second edition, I'll just have to get that out of there. Yes, yes. Yeah, get more credibility.
1: Yeah, no, no, that's fine. Um, I think that, uh, if I knew that my name was in you, this is the first book, I think, where my, my name actually showed up. Well, you know, it took me 200 interviews, but I think I would have said, oh, oh, well, let's get it. <laughs> Cause I had to, I had, there was a bit of a delay there before we were able to get you on the, on the podcast. But, um, that was a part about podcasting and he was talking about how he promotes his podcast. So anyway, Louis, tell us the story of how this book came to be and, and why you wrote it.
0: So, like you said, I've worked with a lot of different companies of all sizes over the years. And, you know, over the last five years or, or so, as I was uh, doing consulting with companies, um, having, you know, done that, that business development work for those other agencies, I really kind of d- started to develop a playbook. And I started to realize there were what I call marketing assets that companies had that they just didn't realize they had mm-hmm. and they weren't using well. And that there was a lot of noise out there in the marketing space around approaches that was just, you know, there's there's now dozens of marketing channels and thousands of companies selling marketing software and thousands of vendors. And there's so much noise, it's so confusing even to marketers, let alone to the business people. Mm-hmm. And there were things that were very popular that I realized uh, – were not really very fast or effective for most companies, and yet they were kind of looking towards them. And social media is one of them. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, you know, I have at the beginning of that chapter like six reasons why social media should be a low priority. Right. And, uh, but I, when I was doing business development at one of those agencies, I had someone call up and she literally said, we want to do social media to generate more leads. <laughs> And I said, uh, because we did social media marketing, but we also did a lot of other things, I said, well, do you want uh, to do social media or do you want to generate leads? Because if you want to generate leads, social media is not going to be very fast. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there was a lot of confusion out there. At the same time, I was kind of developing this approach. I hadn't really put a name to it. I hadn't kind of systematized it yet. Uh, But about a year and a half, two years ago, I, I did. And that's really where bullseye marketing came from, and and that there were things in the center of the bullseye, as you know from reading the book, that companies can do that are fast, they're low risk, they hardly cost anything, uh, and yet companies overlook many of them and jump to these slower, more expensive programs instead and don't get results from those.
1: It really resonated with me because as I was reading the book, I mean, you could. If somebody's maybe new to this, they would they would take all this in. But when you've seen enough companies do it wrong, or I, I had a deeper understanding of what you were explaining, and you really uh, articulated something that I've been thinking about for a long time, and for that, I, I really appreciate it. Let's go back though. Um, at the beginning of the book, you talk about how eighty percent of businesses are under investing in marketing, and then you mentioned that you studied um, eighty five software companies and found that those with the broadest Marketing programs uh, were maybe four to they grew four to five times faster than those without them. Why do companies um, not market more?
0: Yeah, so this was a study I did in 2014, and I I looked at I have a nine point digital marketing scorecard, and things I can see from the outside. I don't have to survey companies to ask them if they're doing it. So there's no survey bias. There's no response bias. But it's things like, do they have a mobile-friendly website? Do they have a marketing automation program in place, which you can tell by website tags? Um, Are they using search engine optimization well? Are they on social channels? Nine Mm -hmm. different things like that. And I scored these 351 companies. And eighty, and the the thing that really broke out was that the software companies and everybody else were in totally different worlds, and I. Uh Having worked with a lot of tech companies, kind of assumed that everybody knew that there were these great programs and these great uh, software uh, you know, companies that they could use, software programs they could use to really improve their results. And I found out that the software companies were using a median of seven of the nine programs, and everybody else, manufacturers, medical device companies, professional services, were using a median of two of the nine Mm-hmm. And and it, so and since they got a point just for having Google Analytics on their website, it meant they weren't marketing. So this was shocking to me. And then at the same time, as you said, I I looked at the software companies and the ones that were using eight or nine, were growing at an average of seventy-two percent over a two-year period, whereas the companies, software companies, using zero to three of those programs, so having very immature or inadequate marketing programs were growing about 15% over two years. So much, Mm -hmm. much slower.
1: Now, I don't want the listener to think that all you have to do is install certain types of things on your website and the technology is going to take care of it. I think that what you're pointing to is that those were really a barometer of their marketing adeptness.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I started to think of it as kind of a marketing maturity model. Yeah. But if they if they knew enough to have seven or eight or nine of these programs in place, then they probably were using them well.
1: Right, right. And
0: if they were only, you know, had Google Analytics and randomly something else, then they really didn't understand probably how to do it.
1: Yeah, but I think it's, it's very much in keeping like with a doctor who uh, takes the pulse, <laughs> the blood pressure, the temperature, that type of it, thing. It tells you… Uh, it, 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 those are great indicators, but why can you talk a bit about why companies just don't seem to market more? Because I think a lot of listeners might, um, this might resonate with them in, in terms of the companies they're with.
0: Well, I think there's two or three reasons. One is that, you know, when, especially when you're talking about, you know, SMBs, and my survey. Was not solopreneurs or real small companies like five-person companies. It was 50 to 1,000-person SMBs. Mm-hmm. So these were companies, you know, that have been around long enough. They have enough budget. They can do this. Um, but in most cases, companies are started by people who are really good at their at their profession, at their industry, really expert. They have some great breakthrough idea, um, but they don't. Have much background at all in marketing? They may think it's just an expense. They don't understand it's an investment in growth. Uh, Very few CEOs and presidents come up through marketing. Mm -hmm. They usually come up through sales or finance or operations, those kinds of things. So uh, that's one reason. A second reason is it's just become so complicated. There be like I said, there's so many channels, there's so many vendors you know, where do you start? Mm-hmm. And and so, so for someone who's not deeply immersed in it and, uh, you know, a president or a C-suite uh, team who wants to start, they're like, well, what do we even do? We yeah,
1: don't- it's paralyzing. And I want it to is. ask you to talk about, uh, I want to paralyze people even further, because I've, I've actually done this in presentations where I've, I've included one of these things I want to ask you about, one from Ginny Dietrich and the other from Scott Brinker. But talk about Ginny uh, Dietrich. Uh, she's the author of Spin Sucks. She's been on the Marketing Book Podcast. Talk about her PESO model. I think that's uh, such a great way to underscore the complexity of uh, marketing now.
0: Yeah, so Jenny has put together this terrific uh, model that she uses to kind of categorize all the marketing channels. And so, peso um, stands for paid, earned, shared, and owned. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, she you know breaks out the different channels.
1: And so, just so the listener knows, the paid would be like uh, paid advertising. Uh, earned would be PR, like getting an article written about you. Uh, shared right. is what's on social media, and owned is the like your website, basically the the content that you own. It's not sitting on someone else's platform,
0: right? And and all the things you create, all the content you create, mm-hmm. and distribute and amplify. And so it's a, it's a good way to think of you know a whole framework around the complexity of the model. My bullseye approach, kind of organizes things a little differently.
1: Right, right. The other thing I wanted to mention was Scott Brinker. He is the one who uh Chief MarTech, which you which I mentioned earlier, he, he has this graphic, uh, he's kept all uh, less than 10 years I think, but each year he updates it with the logo of every marketing software technology. Yeah, company, marketing yeah. technology company and it's it's more than 5,000 logos now and I've, I've used that in presentations. I put it up there and people are like, all right, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> it's, it's almost like you're seeing a professional wrestler tap out. It's like, all right, forget it. I, I am definitely overwhelmed there. Um, the, uh, the, the other thing about the peso that I want to mention is it. those are just four, but then off of each one, there must be a half a dozen or a dozen specific things within owned media or shared media, all that type of thing. So those are two great things. But, um, let's get into uh your bullseye you, you say that many marketers and and non-marketing executives are are so and i've seen this a hundred times they're so focused on spreading the word you know yeah, the expression is let's get our name out there let's they're so they're they're so focused on uh talking about their great offerings that without realizing it they're actually doing it in reverse order so explain the bullseye marketing approach and it's um three rings or or phases?
0: Sure. So the center of the bullseye, so as you said, the bullseye is three rings. You start with a center and and a second and third ring. And in the center of the bullseye, the company takes advantage of those marketing assets that they have, but most companies uh, don't even realize the value of it's kind of like I think of it as, you know, keeping your cash in a shoebox under the bed and you don't realize, you know, if you invested it, you could multiply it and become much wealthier. Uh-huh. And, and so the center of that, the center of the center is the customer and understanding the customer and talking and listening to the customer and not just trying to sell to the customer. And, you know, I do these interviews uh, for companies, and they invariably, you know, half hour to an hour uh, customer interviews, uh, and invariably the CEOs are just shocked by what the customers are saying. They <laughs> they think they know their customers, and and they don't. And I I could give plenty of examples, but uh, so understanding the customer, truly listening is where it all starts.
1: Mm-hmm. Also, the, the center where the customers are, those are the fastest points on the board. Because as you explain in the book, people are much more likely to buy from somebody they already have bought from. So in other words, um, you know, if, if, I, if I were a marketer at a company, I think that and I, they, they say, okay, you're the marketing person, go to it. The first thing I'd do is say, all right, well, what are we doing to sell more to our existing customers? And that seems to be such a foreign uh, a foreign notion.
0: Absolutely. So it's kind of paradoxically, because I'm simultaneously saying you need to stop selling and listen more to customers, and you need to sell more to customers, but you really need to do both. Mm-hmm. And selling more to customers often means, uh, because customer companies aren't focused on it, it often means creating customer-specific content. Because one of the things that comes out of customer interviews often is, well, you know your webinars are all for your sales prospects, but they don't help us. we've been using your product for five years we're <laughs> We're beyond that, so could you do something for us? yeah uh, so that's that's one of the the key you know center of the bullseye but then secondly, the website most companies have poor messaging on their website that doesn't really provide a compelling reason or explanation of, of who they are or what's unique about them mm-hmm. and what they really miss out on is any calls to action. You know, the vast majority of companies, like three quarters of companies in my survey, had no calls to action on their website. 99.9% of people would come and go. The company has no idea who they are, what they want, if they're a potential customer. And and so they're really uh, missing out on a a big opportunity. And, And both of the things I've mentioned so far hardly cost a cent, or take any time to You're implement. actually
1: working us into that second ring. This the outer the next ring out. Right. So, you know, just
0: a few more real quick. Email marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh email marketing is hugely effective. Yet I talk to companies, SMBs all the time and they'll say we have 9,000 email contacts. We have 22,000 or more. How often do you email them? Oh, you know, at at the holidays. <laughs> uh oh, No. <laughs> Or, you know, another one is sales and marketing, uh, what I call sales and marketing collaboration rather than alignment, because for most people, they don't know what that means, sales and marketing alignment. But sales and marketing collaboration, they know what that means. Um, So those are in the center of the bullseye. Uh Those are not only the fastest, most inexpensive things that a company can do, but they set the foundation for success with the second and third ring programs. Mm -hmm. And in the second ring, you have, now you are starting to look for new customers much more aggressively uh, and you use intent data uh, to do that. And so search engine marketing, uh, where you're really focused on keywords that indicate a buyer intent from people.
1: And the focus of the second ring is more about people who are ready to buy from you pretty soon actually. They're sort of at the bottom of the funnel for people who are familiar with the, the the sales funnel concept,
0: right? Because there's a you know imagine that you have a very large base of customers, but in any one year, maybe a very small percent are going to buy that year. They've budgeted, they're ready, they're open for it, and those are the people you need to identify and really focus your marketing on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, the search marketing is one way. Um, tracking who's coming to your website. If you see a surge of much more, you know, many more visits from a particular company or individual, looking at particular content or products, that can indicate uh, much more interest. Or there's third-party vendors who sell intent uh, data. They aggregate this data, mm-hmm. uh, search data across many websites. So all these ways that companies can figure out who's in market now and not try to, you know, boil the ocean, but just f- focus on those customers who are likely to to buy soon. And then the third ring is general awareness and brand building programs. And those are things like content marketing, social media, display ads, uh, events, and and other things like that, which many of these take two or three years to produce results, in the long run, they can be very helpful. Uh, but if a company, as you said, it, you know, unfortunately, they're so identified in many people's minds with marketing that if a company starts with those, they're probably not going to be successful. And after six or nine months, they're going to say, well, we knew marketing didn't work for us.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they'll give up. But if they started in the center, they could produce fast, inexpensive results in a matter of weeks or a few months.
1: And that's where, just from our standpoint, you know, the agency world, we've had clients that come to us and say, basically, we need you to get us going on that third ring. Yeah. And what we're going to, the little change up we're going to do, though, is uh, say, okay, we understand that, but what are you doing about ring one and two? And about 90% of them are, well, nothing. Okay, well, let us help you get started on ring one and ring two, and then we'll get to ring three. And here's another reason why we want to adopt what you've got in your book. It helps to set their expectations, and it helps them to understand that it's not just about that outer ring of the, uh, of the you know, more of the more of the passing game as opposed to the, um, you know, the, the running game that's in rings one and two, to borrow a Tom Brady. Uh, <laughs> Analogy, but but I so anyway. I, when I see that, I thought you know this this does work well. They come to us, they say we want that outer ring, and we're thinking, well, wait a minute, <laughs> we can do that, but can we get these other things done first? Because uh, you know uh, dollars to donuts, most of them after you start on it, we've started on that outer third ring of the content marketing and more of the the long term things. Deep inside, they're thinking, I need leads, I need leads right now, I, I need more sales right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're th- they're expecting that to come from that third ring. We're going to take a break here so I can tell you more about how Blinkist can help your career. Listening to the marketing book podcast says more about you than you may realize. In addition to being physically attractive. Seriously, I've met many of you and you are a very attractive audience. It also means that you're curious and serious about your business success and you enjoy learning new things. And your interest in learning also means you're either successful or will be because all the research indicates that big learners are big earners. Plus, with all the changes happening in marketing and sales, continuous learning is crucial. But there's only so much time and you need to manage it carefully. And unless you're, say, the host of the marketing book podcast, you may not be set up to read a book every week. That's where Blinkist can really be a time saver and a career booster. Blinkist, spelled B L I N K I S T, is a smartphone app that takes the key insights from over two thousand best selling nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just fifteen minutes or less. Instead of having to wade through hundreds of pages of a book, spending hours reading each book like I do every week, you can go through two books in thirty minutes. And the books that are on Blinkist are really top-notch, including several books that have been featured on the Marketing Book Podcast, including The New Rules of Marketing and PR by David Meerman Scott, Perennial Seller by Ryan Holiday, Epic Content Marketing by Joe Pulitzi, Everybody Writes by Ann Hanley, Hug Your Haters by Jay Bear, and many, many more. It took me hours to read those books, but you can get smart audio summaries of each one in just 15 minutes. Blinkist has been selected as one of the best apps by Forbes, New York Times, and BuzzFeed, amongst others, and it's used by over 1 million people. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast right now, today, to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan when you join. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash marketingbookpodcast to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. I recommend getting the yearly plan, that's what I did, and getting 20% off because you're going to want to keep it anyway. But don't worry because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. No Questions asked. Go to blinkist.com slash marketing book podcast. And that means you're going to be letting them know that you support the marketing book podcast and that you want that discount. You'll get the free version or 20% off your annual plan. I also have a link to it at marketingbookpodcast.com. It's a great, inexpensive, and very smart investment in your professional development and career. And now back to the show. There was one thing you said. Uh, let's see, um, the the chapter three great title, uh, know your customer, and um, I think you know if if uh, people only did one thing right in marketing, it would be to know their customer. And you say, while many people think of marketing as just being about advertising and promotion, the central role of marketing is actually understanding the customer, the market, and working with the rest of the company to create those products and services that will have a chance. Uh, for success. Talk to us about um, this concept that you uh, introduced or, or reminded other readers of, of market fit. What What is market fit and can you offer up any ideas on why it's so difficult for so many companies to get right other than the fact that they're not talking to their customers?
0: Well, product market fit Uh, is like really commonly understood in the startup world. Mm -hmm. And and as you said, I I do work, I I, I mentor startups at MIT. uh, And so it's something we talk about all the time. But it's not a term that you hear outside of the startup world very much at all.
1: They think they can't change it, probably.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're just, um, there's a lot of terminology in the startup world that is not in the broader business world and some of it would be the broader business world would consider it to be insane like if you talked you know to eighty percent of companies if you said you know you're not failing enough they'd be like what are you
1: talking about yeah, yeah it's true they, they wouldn't understand
0: but uh, product market fit is determining that there is a a strong market for what you want to sell and that your product actually satisfies it and is something that people would want to buy. And a lot of times, and, it, and it's both, so sometimes, and you see this with MIT engineers, you know, classically, where they uh, think that they produce, have produced a great new uh, mousetrap, uh, but they realize that the, the world is perfectly happy with the mouse traps it already <laughs> has.
1: Sure, it might be better, but they're happy with what they have yeah, exactly.
0: and And there's a lot of reasons why people buy. and And just product superiority or the perceived product superiority of the inventors is not necessarily very high. You know, it's another thing I talk about in the book is the emotional triggers or or what compels people to buy. And even in the b two b world, that's usually more than fifty percent uh, emotional and not rational. But product market fit is really, uh, understanding your market and, and a lot of times that research can be done inexpensively, as I was saying, just by sitting down in front of customers, uh, talking about your idea, talking about the prototype. And if you have those conversations and at least 20% of the time, the people you're talking to don't say, oh, if you really produce that, I want you know, call me up cause I want to buy it. You know, then you may not have something. Because uh, that's the kinds of reactions you get when you have a good product.
1: Very true. There was another book uh, on the podcast recently, uh, "Roadmap to Revenue" by Kristen Jivago, um, mm-hmm. who you may have bumped into in the in the in the tech world, and she talks about how you know if if you would just talk talk to your customers, uh, not only will they tell you what you want. What they want, uh, they'll tell you how to sell it to them. And it also brings to mind another book that was on the podcast by Aaron Ross, um, author of Predictable Revenue. And his book was, uh, his other book was uh, From Impossible to Inevitable. And uh, he talked about um, how you just need to talk to 20 people who aren't your friends or family. (laughs) And he said, nobody's doing that. So, yeah. Maybe it seems too simple, but it has a, an enormous uh, impact. But let's go on to you mentioned email marketing, which could be done um, certainly throughout all three rings. Right. Um, but you say that email is the 500 pound gorilla of bullseye marketing. Why is that?
0: It's just so effective. Uh, you know, everybody is in their email every day. Not everybody is in social media every day, they, and, and they don't want to get. Uh, business messages in social media and the social media platforms don't want to deliver business messages to them anymore unless you pay for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it five years ago, a post from a social media post from a a brand might be seen by 25% of their followers. Today it's like 2% because that's how the platforms like Facebook and LinkedIn have changed their algorithms. But everybody is in email and, uh, And I see it all the time that uh, when you do email blasts to a 1,000 people, you get more reaction than a social media post to 10,000 people.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, there was a study – you may have mentioned about the one, the McKinsey. Yeah, the McKinsey one where they show that um, email marketing is 40 times more – effective at customer acquisition than, than social media. And also the thing that surprises so many folks I speak to is they, they don't realize that the organic reach of your social media posts, let's say from your company's Facebook page, it's only going to maybe one to three percent of the fans that your company <laughs> has built up. Uh, if you want to reach more of your fans now, you have to Pay uh, Facebook, and it works very well for Facebook. Was it always that way? No, uh, that's not how they started out. But they, but they changed it. One other thing that just I see a lot of companies get in trouble with that you you hammered pretty hard. Why should people not buy email lists?
0: Oh, you know, there's just a lot of bad <laughs> reasons why not. I mean, if, there are some. First of all, you can't even use them on most email. You know, legitimate email. Platforms, you know, they won't import them. Well, and they also
1: have ways of knowing if you bought right. a list.
0: Right, that's what I was going to say. That you're not the first person the list has been sold to. <laughs> right. They've, you know, people like Mailchimp or Constant Contact or the other uh, email uh, providers uh, platforms. You know, they're constantly trying to cut down on their spam because they cannot afford to be blocked. One of the things uh, when I had my own agency. And we pivoted into a SaaS uh, company. We had our own content management system. It included an email component to it, and we had to be insistent also that our our customers did not use it illegitimately, or it would block all all of our customers if one of them did the wrong thing.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so that's so Mailchimp and Constant Contact and the other vendors are very careful to make sure that. That illegitimate email lists don't get uploaded, and uh, and get sent out to, and even if you try to send it. So I had one client who wanted to try this. And they're like, well, let's just buy a small list as a sample, and and try it and see how it works. And then we found a vendor that would you know was specifically set up to allow this. You had to create a whole new domain uh, so that your domain didn't get blacklisted. Right. And then when they went out. You know, they still most a lot of them were blocked, and we got zero response. So it was it, you're just emailing people who have never heard of you, and uh, it just doesn't work.
1: And me. and everyone else has uh, put those out there, and also some of those um, email service providers, they're putting like fake emails addresses in there, <laughs> so yeah. that they can tell. It's like when you, um, not that I've done this, Louis, but when you rob a bank. <laughs> You know how they put the uh, canister of paint in there that explodes after you're driving away with the money? That's yeah. the same sort of thing these email service providers are doing because they're trying to catch people doing it because it hurts their business. Um, but also, you start doing that, your emails, as you started to touch on emails from your company, uh, could ultimately not get through to anybody. Uh, you, yeah. You, you get blacklisted. So um, let me add, let's, let's transition over to sales. Um, and I want you to explain. Why marketers, and there's a lot of salespeople who listen to the Marketing Book Podcast, and I love having authors of sales books on here. Why should marketers take salespeople to lunch?
0: Oh, because sales, you know, they have more direct contact with the customer than anybody in the company. So they really know your best salespeople are, are, you know, geniuses about what the customers want. And what are the... Reasons that they're buying, and what are the messages that work with them, and what are the objections that come up, and so forth. So, you definitely should be doing a ride along with sales and uh, experiencing what what it's like to be face to face with customers, mm-hmm. and uh, and should be collaborating very closely with sales in terms of understanding who your your ideal customer is, what the what the messages are that you need to get to them? What kind of content can you produce that will help sales in the later stages, close deals? Um, who has responsibility for generating leads? And how quickly is, is each side going to act depending on uh, the leads that come in and the quality of the leads? If marketing produces leads for sales? Uh, I had a customer one time who said, it took two weeks for sales to call back to not like someone who downloaded a white paper. This was someone who filled out a form that said, I want to talk to you
1: about buying your product. Oh, I, when I read that in your book, I died a little bit inside.
0: Oh, God, yes. And, uh, you know, you need to be responding in minutes, not yeah. not weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of collaboration is, again, everything that I've just talked about hardly costs anything except getting people to focus on it and and execute on it and so much of and you know this i'm i'm sure from your own experience douglas and and from other books you've read so much of success in marketing as in business in general is ab- about executing on you know a lot of the, just the right ideas it's not about Having some incredible insight that that no one has ever had before, ex- except perhaps bullseye marketing, but uh, but you know, really sticking to the knitting and and executing day after day. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it, there's no silver bullet out there. I'm sorry to burst everyone's bubble. Um, it has more to do with the basic uh, blocking and tackle tackling. Just to bring it back to your uh, close friend Tom Brady. Um, yeah. So I uh, wanted to mention uh, one thing about SEO, I mean, your book, as I mentioned, it's a big book. It's it's chock full of, of, of great information, we're not doing it justice. But I was wondering if you could explain, uh, the as it relates to search engine optimization, the, the, the concept of the power of the long tail, and, and why that's such a great opportunity for marketers to exploit. I don't know that we've covered this topic uh, on, on any of the interviews.
0: So uh, just to, so people kind of have a sense of what the book is, in the first few chapters, just the first couple, three chapters, I outline the bullseye marketing approach. And then there's 20 chapters that go tactic by tactic with hundreds of best practices and examples of how to do email marketing well, how to do uh, improve your website, how to do search engine optimization, and so forth. So it's a very... Very uh, full of of hands on tips.
1: Yeah, very granular, and you're going to see it on desks, I think.
0: And uh, so, in terms of the long tail, the the long tail is really fundamental to understanding digital marketing, which is that you have these uh, what are sometimes called head uh, at the at the beginning of the long tail. It's a little hard if you can't see the visual. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry Um, about that, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) You'll just have to buy the book. Yes. Uh, Or just go on Google and and search for long tail, and you will get a visual of it right away. And on the left side are the terms that are really popular. So uh, let's say you're talking about email marketing. Uh, Email would be far to the left. A lot of people searching on just email or email marketing. Mm -hmm. But then when you got a little further to the right, but get, with fewer searches would be email marketing software or email marketing best practices. And then farther to the right in this long tail, but getting even even fewer searches, would be perhaps email marketing software pricing uh, or email marketing software reviews. And a lot of times, uh, because those head terms, the ones on the far left, the really popular terms, are but they're they're not very targeted are already captured by other companies, your best opportunity to get a high search rank or to be effective with search advertising is farther down the long tail. So, for example, I was working with an investment banking firm in Boston, and they said they wanted to rank high for investment banking. And I said, well, you, you won't, because Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs have those tied up. But you can rank high for... Investment banking Boston or investment banking technology uh, firm Northeast or things of that sort that are long tail terms multi uh, multi-word keyword phrases that are much more specific uh, actually to a company and and even for a small company, you know you might have an insurance agency with a uh, uh, offices in in three cities you know and so if you have insurance agency, Boston, Providence, Hartford that's an opportunity but just insurance agency you're not going to rank and it, it won't get you good, good return.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then you also uh, go into one of my favorite topics is beware of the SEO con men. There is so much <laughs> there's so many charlatans out there that are you know stealing is too strong a word but there is such abuse going on. If you're hiring an SEO firm and you're, they're not talking to you about content <laughs> I I, I think you uh, you you better invest in in buying the book to explain why you really need to be careful about that, Louis. We we're almost running out of time, but I wanted to ask uh, just I just wanted to ask you a favor. Um, on uh, this book is going to be very successful, and I know you're going to have a second edition at some point towards the end. You're talking about building a team, building your own marketing team, and the kind of things you need to look for. And this is a, a, a yet another chapter that I hear so much about. And um, there's a sentence here that says. Uh, You know, when you're interviewing people, um, you say all companies need people who are committed to lifelong learning, and that's especially important in marketing. Uh, In your job interview, you could ask what they are studying and how they go about keeping up with advances in their field. So, Louie, I don't need an answer. I don't need a yes or no, but I just want to put an idea in your head. If you could just add one sentence that says, if they say they listen to the marketing book podcast, do not let them leave the room. Hire them immediately. Just... You know, just think about that. Uh, put that in there.
0: Consider it done, Douglas. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, so noted. I hope. Yeah, uh, so noted. I'm kidding, of course. I already told you how I felt when I read my own name in the book, and. <laughs> but let's uh, let's wrap up. If, if readers took only one thing away from the book, Louis, what would you hope it would be?
0: Uh, That there are a lot of low-risk, great opportunities for business. I consider bullseye marketing to be kind of an on-ramp for those 80% of companies that are not doing much, if any, marketing, and that there are some great, low-risk, low-cost, fast ways for them to to start producing results and to generate internal buy-in that can lead to full programs and, and terrific business results.
1: Well said. And like I said before, I I just love the concept. And I guess there's some simplicity in it that I just completely missed in the past. But this answers so many questions for us. You know, when we're trying to help companies and I can definitely see a marketer. You know, a lot of marketers, they they live kind of a solitary existence. They may be the only one there. They're uh, doing a lot of teaching, having to explain things. And I think if they took this approach, it would help them tremendously. It would help them gain better buy in. It just works on on so many levels. What books have inspired your work and career?
0: Um, so I guess, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the classics, two, you know, that come to mind are uh, Jim Collins' Good to Great,
1: mm. yes. which,
0: again, uh, as I was saying, it's really all about. Uh, uh, incremental change and operational efficiency. You could summarize that book into just focus and execute, uh, but it's really a, a terrifically helpful business book. Um, I think Jeffrey Moore's Crossing the Chasm, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is a brilliant. Uh, it, it, I reread it a, a few years later, and it had been twenty years or more since I read it the first time, and it, and it just was oh. Now, nah, why did I forget this? <laughs> it right. re answered. It just reconfirmed so many things, and there's a reason why you know it's on its third edition and used in so many business schools. Yes. Uh, so those are a couple that uh, are, I think, great, great books.
1: Excellent recommendations, and uh, those books have come up. Uh, uh, from uh, have, having been inspiration for other authors as well, are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or have heard about or are looking forward to seeing?
0: Well, I've been a little heads down uh, in writing and and marketing this book, promoting the book. Uh, so I probably haven't been reading as much uh, as many books as I might have. But I know, uh, you know, talking about another classic, you know, Tom Peters. His, In Search of Excellence, is one of the first business books I read, and and he has a new book out called The Excellence Dividend that I've been listening to on uh, audiobook. Oh,
1: on yes, a- I listened to an uh, interview he did with um, Daniel Pink about it. Terrific.
0: Yeah, and and he has great, great ideas. Uh, you know, one of his concepts is the idea that excellence is about the next five minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. You know, this is excellence is not some lofty, lofty goal. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's always about, and and there's actually a, another book that was recommended. Uh, Mark Andreessen uh, on Twitter listed a bunch of his favorite books, and and there's a book called um, Extreme Ownership.
1: Oh yes, you, by the former Navy SEAL Jocko. Yeah. Uh-huh. Jocko.
0: And and he said he gives it to more startup founders than any other book. And uh, it it may be a little bit too military for some people because mm-hmm. he, he kind of goes back and forth between things he learned in the SEALs and how he applies it to the business world. Uh, but just that concept, which literally failure is not an option because it means we get killed. <laughs> uh, so uh, you can't blame it on the circumstance. You can't blame it on team members. You have to take comp- as a leader – Complete ownership to get it right and make it work Mm -hmm. is uh, a very valuable lesson for people in business, too.
1: Amen. So, how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? Uh, Well, if they go to louigadima.com,
0: that's the book website. And so, there's information there about the book, where I'm speaking, um, some uh, reviews of the book. They can buy the book on Amazon, Um, I'm on Twitter. My handle is, is Louis Gadima. I have one of those unique names that I didn't have to fight real hard to get. Uh, I'm not Louis gadima 27463. Uh, and my company, as you mentioned, is Revenue and Associates. And our website is revenueassociates.biz. So I uh, would love to have people contact me uh, through any of those channels. My email there is, is Louis L-O-U-I-S, at revenueassociates.biz.
1: Terrific. And we'll include links to your sites, your LinkedIn profile, and your Twitter handle on this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you have subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your podcast player, like uh, Apple Podcasts or... Google Play Music, all these links can be found by going to this episode on your podcast player and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is Bullseye Marketing, How to Grow Your Business Faster. The author is Louis Godema. Louis, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Thank you, Douglas. It's been a pleasure and I, I appreciate your enthusiasm for uh, the book and the ideas.
1: And that closes the book on episode 193 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or another helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas burr Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan, visit Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. And please join us next time as we welcome Jay Bear back to the Marketing Book Podcast for the third time to talk about the new book he has co-authored with Daniel Lemon, Talk Triggers, The Complete Guide to Creating Customers with Word of Mouth. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a Coco Mocha Signature Latte. Or make them swoon with a Strawberry Dragon Fruit Dunkin' Refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.